August 1st, 2023, we're in Masechet Betzah, if you count from the top of the Amud down, it's seven lines down, the last word on the line. If you recall, what the Gemara was reporting was the several opinions of Rabbi Yohanan with regards to uh, Ma'asir. And Rabbi Yohanan was talking about situations where it's Lonig Meramelachtan. In other words, the produce that you're dealing with with regards to the potential of being Hayab B'Ma'asir is that you didn't finish what your intended usage and production of this produce is going to be. In other words, I have uh, grapes and I plan on turning it into wine. I have uh, olives and I plan on turning it into oil. I have uh, vegetables and I plan on uh, drying them. In any of those circumstances, before the finishing, the halakha is, if it's lonig meramilachtan, it's not hayab b'ma'asir. There are notable questions and potential exceptions in several situations. Rabbi Yohanan systematically, as per Ravin reporting what he heard in Eretz Yisrael, went through many of them and said none of them are exceptions to the rule. In any and all of those, even if it's lonig menamelachtan, it's not hayab maaser. The last on that list is here. It's seven lines from the top. Mekach, if a person were to sell the produce prior to the finishing of it, uh, what's the halakha going to be? Is it therefore going to be hayab maaser? You could, on the one hand, envision it as such. You could alternatively say it's learning meramilachtan. How could you envision it as such? Well, it goes like this. Even though I plan on turning it into wine, even though my purpose, my objective in growing these fruits is to dry them, you want to make a deal with me. I'm giving it to you now. I'm effectively stating through this sale that I'm finished with this. Shouldn't it be hayab b'ma'asir? Nonetheless, Rabbi Yohanan's claim is it's not. Says the Gemara, mekach keditanya. We have a beraita. Which will um, which will fill out this opinion? You bypass all the ma'asir. What's that? You bypass all the ma'asir. You bypass everything. No, no, you didn't bypass it. I mean, you as the owner, as as the initial owner, you bypassed it once you sold it. The person who bought it from you, when it's nigmer amilachtan. Yeah. The owner, I bypassed everything. Yeah. Okay. I don't take the ma'asir to everybody. I just take the money and enjoy. You have to take ma'asir kisafim on the money now. Says the Gemara, kedetanya. Indeed, indeed. You're making less money because you're selling it before it's finished. If a person were to buy te'enim, te'enim are figs, from an amha'aretz, a person whom we suspect and rightfully suspect is not really knowledgeable with regards to the halakha of ma'asir. He doesn't per se uh, dedicate himself to fulfilling this mitzvah appropriately. And as a result, that mai is the name of the produce that you buy from him. We call it demai. We kind of uh, uh, truncate, we uh, turn it into a compound word. We say you have to question, what is this item that you bought? There's a doubt that he actually took the ma'asir. Okay, so halokech te'eni ma'amhar. It's b'makom shirov b'nei adam dorsin. If it's in a place where the general populace, the normal practice is that with regards to figs, people are not just eating figs, they're dores, they turn the figs into these fig pies, which means to say, put it in our terminology, it's lo nigmera melachtan. You're dealing with figs where the production is not done, the process has not finished. What should the halakha be? But you bought it, the person selling it to you in turn has essentially established that this is nigmira melachtan. What's the halakha? Ochel mehen arai. The halakha is that the person in turn, if you bought it from him, are allowed to eat from it in an impermanent fashion. That means to say it's not hayab b'ma'asir. Of course, if you were to eat it in a permanent fashion, as we said, midrabanan, rabbinically, you have to take a tenth. But ultimately speaking, the statement nonetheless is, 
even though there was a purchase, we call that a mekach, nonetheless, since it's lo nigmera melachtan, what's the proof that it's not finished its process? It's in a place where rov bene adam dorsin, the majority of people who are dealing with figs are going to press them and turn them into these pies. You don't need to take ma'asir, you can eat from it, you can eat from it um, uh, in, in a derech aray. Lastly, however, and we left off with these words yesterday, yesterday says the beraita, ummeaseran demai. But you do need to take ma'asir from it, assuming and treating it as, that's the word we used in Tenel, demai, the suspicious food, the food that you're uncertain whether they took ma'asir from it. Oh, what does that mean? I just thought you just told me I don't need to take ma'asir. Well, the understanding is these next words are, what if you finish it? So again, stage one was the proof, was the issue with regards to the Biohanan. The Biohanan statement was, even a mekah doesn't make it into keva, doesn't give it a permanence. The last statement, however, is, all right, let's move ahead in it. Here are the, date, here are the figs that I bought from you. I finished the milacha on my own. I bought from you those figs, and I turned the figs into fig pies. Now, what's the status of these? Should I assume, it's a finished product, should I assume that the person I bought it from took turumot ma'asrot from them or not? In other words, now that I've bought this from you and I finished the process, do I now need to take full-fledged turumot ma'asrot from it? Now, if I were to buy it from you, generally speaking, and you're a talmid hacham, our assumption is, your haver, our assumption is, you took the turumot ma'asrot. Over here, there's a twofold aspect. Number one, it wasn't nigmera melachtan, which means to say you weren't before selling it to me, not you, the am ha'aretz, before it selling it to me, wasn't, wasn't obligated. He was authorized, you could jump it, you could do it earlier. And number two, he's an am ha'aretz, so we're not certain he's doing that. Nonetheless, the halakha is interestingly, me'aseran demai, and what that means is the following, is you have to treat this produce as a lower grade obligation. On the one hand, you can and should assume, even though the guy is not knowledgeable per se in all the halachot, he does, we say about Ame Ha'aretz, he does keep clear and stringent with regards to Tirumah. We'll return to that point in a second. And number two, and just as importantly, even though it's Lo Nigmara Melachtan, even though he's not obligated yet to take it, you can assume that people take early teruma and maaser. People jump to that. When they have the opportunity, they get it out of the way. I'd rather take care of all my tzedakah, all my obligations with regards to this earlier on. And therefore, again, it will later be an obligation. These are obligatory donations. I know it sounds like a contradiction, but teruma and maaser is not obligated. Right, but it will become... And as a result, since you know when you began it, I have it right now. I'm going to get it. Let me just handle it now. So I don't have to think about it any longer. That's the assumption. The assumption is A, and we're going to speak this out in the Gemara, even when it's not Nigmera Melachtan, the, um, the, the tendency of people is to take it even then. Um, and number two, you're treating this as, again, demai. And demai means to say, when we're dealing with an amharet, and there's a distinction, which the Gemaran Masechet Sota delineates on Daf Samechet, the idea being as follows, that when it comes to an amharet, they do know and follow the laws of tiruma. Tiruma again, being the amount you give to the Kohen every day. 
the uh, the one uh, fiftieth on a yearly basis. They don't take ma'asir, and therefore, bottom line, again, I bought the item, the te'ina, the te'inim from the amhar, it's kodem shenigmira melachtan. At that stage, I don't need to do anything as long as I'm eating from it aray, impermanent. I now finished the process, turned it into the pies. I now am going to be obligated on what level? That's the key words. I'm obligated only as demai, which means to say I only need to take ma'asir, I don't take terumah, because I'm making an assumption. Number one, even though he's an amha'aretz, the halakhayas, he did take terumah, we assume that. And even though it's lonik melachtan, our assumption is he took it earlier to get it out of the way. That's what the Gemara articulates right now. Shema'mina quickly says the Gemara, we can derive from this beraita telat. Telat, switching the taf with the sheen. Shalosh, we can derive from this three halachot. Number one, Shema'mina mekah ena kovat ela melachto. First and foremost, that's the statement we've been dealing with. That much we got from the first statement in the Beraita. If I bought the dates, excuse me, the figs from the Amharit in a place, uh, over there it doesn't matter, it's an Amharit, in a place where they only use the figs to turn them into pies, or generally speaking, do so, even though it's Lonig and it's a Mekah and there was a purchase. Nonetheless, it's not hayab b'ma'aseh mekach enan gomeret enakovat ela b'davash nigmera melachto. Number two, shema mina rov ameha aretz me'aserin hen. That's the next point I was making. We were we were understanding, even though the guy we suspect doesn't know the laws properly. There's a difference between not knowing the laws at all and uh, not knowing the laws properly. Ameha aretz during the time of the Mishnah knew the laws partially. They followed the laws partially. They took care of their teruma. They're one fiftieth. That's right. That's right. In other words, the statement over here is that uh, that we assume we assume that in this circumstance you're only taking it as demai because in this circumstance we only have the hashash of maasrot ushma'mina. Lastly, me'aserin demai our assumption, lastly, is that the Ameha Aretz, even though it's lo nigmera melachto, they could and would have handled their terumah gedola earlier. Ule afukeh. And lastly, says the Gemara, this general statement, if you didn't follow that, if you're not fully clear on that, nonetheless, the general statement of Rabbi Yohanan goes as follows. Rabbi Yohanan says, even in a Mekah, I made a purchase with regards to produce that you sold to me, uh, you didn't finish the production. Nonetheless, even though you're selling it, it's not therefore hayab b'ma'asir. That's la'afukeh, la'afukeh, we have a word like nafkamina, yotze mizeh. La'afukeh means literally to take out, it means to exclude, to say we're not following. Mehaditznan, this would not be following, and according with the following Mishnah, ha-mahalif perot im havero, ze le'echol ve-ze le'echol, ze le'exot ve-ze le'exot, ze le'echol ve-ze le'exot, hayav. So the following, one of three situations. I'm switching my fruits, my vegetables with you. So there's yours and here are mine. Neither one of us have finished uh, melachtan. You plan on drying yours and I plan on drying mine, turning them into fig pies. And we switch. What's the halakha in such a circumstance? Alternatively, 
you plan on eating from yours already, and I plan on turning mine into a fig pie, and we switch. What's halacha in that circumstance? Or lastly, we both plan on eating from them now. In other words, we consider them nigmira melachtan, and we switch. The switching being considered a mecha. What's the halacha going to be in any or all of those three circumstances? Does the switching, the mecha, effectuate the reality over here? Does it change it or not? Well, the first opinion over here says, Hayav. Are you in your courtyard or are you in your field? Doesn't matter. The mecha, the sale, remember, according triggers. to this opinion, triggers, which makes a lot, at least in my mind, a lot of sense. The sale means I am considering this somewhat finished or finished enough to be hayab. That's the first opinion. Rabbi Yohanan then is He's going against that opinion. Rabbi Yohanan is from the time of the Gemara. What's that? That's correct. That's exactly the point. Even though we're dealing with mekah, you're hayab b'ma'aseh, according to this opinion. Rabbi Yohanan is an Amorai, from the time of the Gemara, he's not a Mishnah. How could he be disagreeing with the Mishnah? Well, we have another opinion. Rabbi Yudaumir, le'echol hayab liksot patur. Says Rabbi Yudaumir, not so fast. The only time you're going to be hayab b'ma'aseh is not just because of the purchase, the sale, the trade. That will not trigger it enough. The only thing that will trigger it is if my intention was to eat from it, in turn it means it's finished, then you're hayav. If your intention was alternatively to dry it, to turn it into a pie, whatever the circumstance is, you'd be patur. Rabbi Yohanan is following that second opinion, the opinion patur of Rabbi Yudah. Patur until completion, of course. Completion, nigmira melachto, and you're going to be hayav. Either way, you, you, either way you, gotta, you gotta pay. Ultimately speaking, the answer is yes. But what if either I'm really sly, or, yeah, in other words, that I'm going to eat all my stuff prior to the actual intention, or I'm going to take snacks. Are my snacks going to have to yes. be taken from them? Oh, there are saved. There, there, is, there is money being saved here. There is, there is burdens that are being, to, being a burden. Exchanging is considered a sale. Yes. What's clear from this Mishnah is that the exchange is being equated with a sale, which well, is interesting as well. come to my well. house and we exchange pies. Correct. Still a Correct. They're not going to let any sneaky loopholes like that get by. Even though there are some loopholes, right? In other words, for example, when you talked about a moment ago, the entering into the home, if you recall, I mentioned this briefly, we learned this in another Gemara. If you were to go through the roof of your home, right, you, you didn't go through the Pinead Bayit, you'd be patur from Ma'aseh. There is such a loophole. It does exist. So there are loopholes. It's not as if they didn't allow for them and understand them. Uh, like anything else, there are ways of, of getting out of it. Um, right. I mean, uh, you want my, my, my theory? I can't tell you per se if this is recorded. They needed to, the hachamim I'm talking about, to protect people who were objectively poor. And even though the Torah is giving a promise as it does, you'll give ma'asir and you'll get osher as a result, you get reward. There are going to be people who aren't going to be able to rise to such to the occasion, such circumstances. We need within the system a way to handle those. Uh, we can't just tell them go against the halacha. We need a loophole for it. I think really like any other system needs appropriate, rare, far and in between easy loopholes. In the case that you go through a different door and it's cleared. It's kind of easy. Again, it's not a different door per se, unless you're saying it's back edge. It's really, it's you're going there, carpifot, vigagot. You're going through, uh, yeah, you're going through the roof and things said, of that fashion. Just as long as you're not going through the main Through the entrance, right. Carpifot yeah. might be that you're going through a side door of some sort. Anyway, hadrana ala chamevi. We finished that perik and we finished that conversation with regards to ma'asrot. This next perik at the very onset talks about 
about a concept that we've dealt with briefly at different points in the Masechet, and that's the idea of tirha. Tirha means exerting yourself, uh, burdening yourself to the extent that even though it's not a milacha per se that you're doing, Nonetheless, there might be a prohibition under circumstances where the hachamim appraised the situation and said, that's too much. That's inappropriate for Shabbat. It's asur. Inappropriate for Yom Tov. It's forbidden. So the Mishnah will deal with that and deal with whether Yom Tov and Shabbat are the same or one is more stringent than the other with a few examples. Mashilin perot derech aruba. So the Mishnah starts with a lot of words that are hard to understand. Aruba means a hole in the ceiling. Perot, we know, means fruits. What does it mean, mashilin? Well, take a look at Rashi on the left-hand side. Rashi says, Mi sheyesh lo chitin u'se'orin. If a person has barley or wheat, shetuchin al gago. Shatuach means spread out. They're spread out on your roof. Lihit yabesh, the purpose, of course, is to dry them out. V'ra'ag geshamim memashmeshin u'ba'in. And he looks up and he sees the rain is coming quickly. It's on its way there. He sees uh, clouds, rainstorm coming on its way. Uh, well, he's nervous as a result that his dried or his, his, his barley and his, and his wheat, which is drying, is going to get ruined. He tirulo, the hachamim permitted, litroach ulehashlich derech aruba shebagag. They permitted to take all of that wheat and barley on your roof and to push it down that hole in your roof into your home. And in turn, they'll fall to the ground. By so doing, imagine the situation, it's all around, I'm just pushing it in. The rabbis appraised that situation and said, That's not considered overexerting. They're trying to objectify and help us understand the parameters of Overexerting, just pushing it down is not overexerting. What would be, in contrast, Rashi Shabbat. helps us. Right now, not clear, but the Mishnah will tell us Biyom Tov Shabbat. The next words in the Mishnah, we'll have to figure out why. Vidavka Aruba says Rashi, and specifically and only when it's through that hole in the roof. Because anytime we talk about an Aruba, it's going from up down. That's a simple, swift movement, just pushing them down. Aval halon, if you're going through a window, kigon gag shemukaf mechitza vehalon bakotel, for example, a roof which is surrounded by walls and you have to reach your hand over and push it through a window of some sort, too much, much harder. In such a circumstance, we won't allow that sort of exertion. Kaman, uh, as the Gemara will tell us later on. So again, back to the Mishnah, we now know what that word mashilin means. Mashilin means to put it in a downward movement, to push it down. What are you allowed to do? So that's basically because it's considered working? or it, It's, again, it's not a melacha working, which is going to be asur from the Torah. It's going to be working too hard, you're exerting yourself, you're, uh, you're tiring yourself. Uh, the collection apparently is not a problem, right? The fact that you're pushing them all in is permitted. The fact that you're collecting it and picking it up and pulling your arm over and pushing it through, but permitted, okay. Even though it's in your house. Even though it's into your house. Yes, then. I was told that melacha is like not actually work. Work is not a good translation. So it has nothing to do with exertion. It's just more about what are the lamentable. But this is not melacha. This is tirhayetera. That's what. That's the point I'm making. Is that a melacha? No. This is an isumid rabbanan. 
right? It's a rabbinic violation in which they say, but they're trying to keep me and you appropriately calm and collected with the right mindset. It's hard for us to get into their mind and figure out what's in and what's out, but here are actions that they're saying inappropriate. Teddy's asking, well, is that a milacha? It's one of the third nine. It's not one of the third nine. It's not even touching one of the third nine. It's a general perspective called tirhayetera along the lines and married somewhat to uvdin dehol, which means weekday activities. Also hard to pinpoint. We're going to try. We're going to do our best with the examples the hachamim will give us. Mashidin pero derecharuva. Says the Mishnah, biyom tov, avalo b'shabbat. So there it is. The Mishnah tells us that this is permitted. Keep in mind as well, there's potential loss of money on the line. It's not just that you're allowed to push it down. That In that circumstance, it seems clear they would not permit. And it's only permitted on Yom Tov, but not on Shabbat. Apparently on Shabbat, there's a greater stringency in their eyes, which we can already understand. A violation of Melachan Yom Tov comes with lashes, Malkot, a violation of Melachan Shabbat, Bimezid comes with skila, with being put to death by being pelted with stones. There's a difference in severity. If you don't need Melachan, that's a matter of this is not a melacha. This is an isumid rabbanan. It's a rabbinic prohibition, restriction. But why is there a loss? If it rains on it, it just gets wet again and then it takes longer to dry. So, several things. Firstly, it might get spoiled. Harkava, in other words, is the word we use. It might get spoiled. And secondly, it takes time. It'll take a lot more time and the quality might even be ruined. I mean, I don't know well enough. So you're saying that if you have to exert yourself to save it, on Yom Tov, they're permitting in this circumstance, but they're not letting you, quote, overexert. It's only, as Rashi already filled in for us, if you're pushing it down as opposed to going through the side. Right? Continues the Mishnah, it says, Umechasim perot bakelim mipene hadelef. The Mishnah says further, it says, You're allowed to cover the fruits or the wheat and barley bakelim with utensils mipene hadelef if the rain is coming down. If there is droplets of water coming from the roof, explains Rashi. Now, in this circumstance, are we referring to the same question Alan asked earlier, to Yom Tov or to Shabbat? Whereas the first line in our Mishnah said, Yom Tov Shabbat, this next line doesn't fill that in. If you take a look at the left-hand side of Rashi, Rashi says, velo amrinan, when you're covering them with these utensils, Torah shelole. So Rashi adds in the word, says, don't think this is a Torah Shelolitzorich, an unnecessary exertion on Yom Tob, underline the words Yom Tob. Clearly, Rashi's reading of this next line in the Gemara is in conjunction with the first line. The only time you're allowed to cover the fruits, the vegetables, the, the barley, and the wheat with utensils is if it's Yom Tob, not on Shabbat. Rosh, Rabbeinu Asher, and Siman Aleph, Tzpereke, picks up on this Rashi. He says, it's not the simple reading per se in the Mishnah. You could read, and he makes the argument for reading the Mishnah, that this next line is less, it's lighter than the initial exertion. When I'm pushing and pulling and picking up, the, that's one thing. When I'm just taking the utensil and placing it over it, it's lighter. It might be permitted even on Shabbat. The words in the Mishnah might read that way. 
Well, uh, What's you, oil? What is that? Oil well, is, is, is barrels is, now and put the thing on top. It's but, a, but you're, you're, you're taking a canopy and you're covering your fruits. Well, first of all, it, it'll 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 depend exactly on how you're doing that. Don't forget, you'll have to have a tefach. You might really just be placing something over it, as opposed to having a space in between. It'll depend on a lot of things. It'll be a question of how permanent it is. I mean, you'd have to yes, you'd have to deal with such such realities. But we're not, you know, assuming. All of those sorts of matters are not a problem, which there's very easy ways of getting around them. You're dealing only with a Torah Shelolesorech or potential Shelolesorech. The Mishnah says it's permitted. Rashi explains only on Yom Tob. Rosh and others extend it to Shabbat. Vechen continues the Mishnah. Kadeyain vekadeshemen. If you're dealing with jugs of wine or of oil and water's coming, and water's coming, you're allowed to cover them as well. Why is that a Hidush? Why is that mentioned? You just told me you're allowed to do it with fruits. This is less susceptible to being ruined. Really the question of, of Alan. In other words, if the water's falling onto my barley or my wheat, Alan made the case, even in that situation you don't have a real loss. Okay, but you do have a loss. Now it's coming onto my jugs. How many droplets of water are actually getting in there? Some, a little bit. Is that really destructive enough? The Mishnah is telling us, even so, it's nonetheless um, going to be considered enough in order to say that it's permitted to cover them on Yom Tov or maybe even Shabbat. And lastly, says the Mishnah, What you're allowed to do on Shabbat is to place a utensil to receive the water that's falling down. So we're not covering something, but you want to protect your ground. You want to protect your home. Water's falling in. You're allowed to put a keli underneath. Not to clean it. You want it to protect the ground. You want to protect it. Look at Rashi. Your objective is to collect and receive the water in it. Because you fear, tinuf means it'll get dirty. Your home is going to get dirty. Right, that's what we have in our Mishnah. Okay, so now the Gemara, interestingly, uh, for the first several, several lines, will deal with this first word, ironically, mashilin. And it'll say there are actually different versions with regards to what that word is. Our Mishnah says mashilin. We translated it as you lower. I will say there are several different versions. All of them are okay. There are a lot of different words which all sound the same and they all mean the same thing. They all mean to lower. And we're going to take one. I'm going to say, I'll bring you a proof it means to lower. I'll bring another one. Bring, this is like a linguist gun uh, aid in this Gemara. You, know, you have these words. And, oh, I can tell you that means it. And it all sounds the same. That's what the Gemara does. You, by the way of the Hachamim doing this, you learn a lot of extra halachot. That word means this because of that context. It's an interesting halacha, etc. That's what happens over here in the Gemara. Says the Gemara, Itmar. It was said in the Beit Midrash, Rav Yehuda Rav Natan, two of the Emoraim, debated that word in our Mishnah. The first one, Hadtane. Mashilin, one of them taught his teaching in the word of the Mishnah. He said the first word in the Mishnah is Mashilin. That's exactly as we have it. The Hadtane, another one had it, not Mashilin, but he had an extra word in there, Mashilin, with a het. Again, they're going to amount to the same thing. They're just going to need to bring proofs that that's what the word means in some other context to lower. Amar Morzutra, Manditane Mashilin Lamishtabesh. Morzutra qualifies, he says, man, man means me, he who, detanehu taught, quote, unquote, mishilin, the word mishilin, lo mishtabesh, shibush means a mistake, 
He's not making a mistake. That's a good word for the Mishnah. The rabbis would have used that word. Kama, uman ditane mashhilin, quote unquote. And alternatively, the other opinion who has the word not mashilin, but mashhilin, la mishtabesh. He wasn't making a mistake either. Because both of those words mean the same thing to lower. Can you bring me proof for that? Oh, sure. I'll tell you how. Manditane mashilin la mishtabesh dichtiv. I have a pasuk in the Torah, says Morzutra, which will suggest that that word means to fall or to be lowered. A pasuk in the Torah says, this is at the end of Sefer Devarim, in Parashat Kitabo, I believe. Pasuk says, Zetim yihyu lecha bechol gevulecha. You'll have um, uh, zetim, you'll have olives throughout your borders. Veshemen lo tasuch. However, you won't be able to produce oil. This is in the Kelalot. This is when God is predicting Moshe through God. Is God through Moshe is predicting, if you don't do the right thing, things aren't going to be good for you. You think you're going to be successful. You're going to look around. There are going to be uh, trees filled with olives, but you won't have any oil. Why not? Ki yishal zetecha. Because your olives will fall off. You heard the word for fall off? Yishal. That's the word in our Mishnah, mashilin. Now, from that pasuk in the Torah, reading it carefully, we understood that the word yishal, mashilin, means to fall down. What's the curse? You're going to work really hard. Your tree's going to be filled with olives. Every year you're going to get all excited. Finally, honey, rohi, we're going to have some oil. No, before it gets fully ripened, it will fall off, and as a result, you'll never have it. That's the curse. By way of reading that pasuk, we understand mashilin is a good word to describe something going down. Umandetane mashilin, several lines into the Gemara now. Lomishtabesh. Okay, but ultimately speaking, it's a word. I hear you. You might not want to attach yourself to that word. Maybe you like mashchilin for that reason. Problem with mashchilin is we're not going to point to a pasuk in the Torah. We're going to point to a rabbi statement where we use that word for going down. How so? How do you know mashchilin means to bring down? Ditnan hashehol vehakesol shehol shenishmeta yarko kesol sheehad miyarkotav gevoha. Mehaverta. This Mishnah is dealing with Bechor. Bechor meant that your firstborn animal was to be sacrificed. Any time you had a firstborn animal, it had to be sacrificed. If there was what's called a moon, a blemish in that animal, the Torah describes to us what those blemishes could or would look like, it was given to the Kohen and the Kohen got to enjoy it. Okay, what are the definitions? What are some of those? Uh, situations where it has a blemish. Well, one of those blemishes in the Torah is what's called serua, and uh, that serua means, in some way, Rashi explains, the limbs are not um, are not the right size. The limbs are a little bit off, and we have two examples of serua. Uh, number one is a kisol, and number two is a shehol. Now, before we move onward, what's the relevance of those words? Shehol is the same word, mashhilin. What do those words mean? They're describing the limbs of an animal. Well, let's see. The Mishnah tells us both of those invalidate the animal. You can't bring that animal and sacrifice it. Instead, the Kohen gets to eat it. What are they? Shehol shenishmeta yarko, or yerecho. Now, that one's the most important one. Shehol, mashhilin, the same shorish, same root, means shenishmeta, became dislocated, it's yerech. It's thigh, I think, is a yerech, right? In other words, the idea is it became dislocated. It came out of it. It went down. 
Oh, you see that we could have used the word mashilin in our Mishnah because the word shehol means to become dislocated for it to go down. What's kesol? Shehad mi'arkotav givoham mehaverta. Kesol, just by the way, means that one of the limbs, when you're looking at the two thighs, one of them seems higher attached at a higher point than the other one. It looks disformed. So and shehol is dropped down, that's what they get. Dislocated, which means drop, drop down. That's why mashhilin works. That's right. So effectively then, as I told you, a linguist dream, we had two interpretations or two versions of the Mishnah. Mashhilin and mashhilin both defended. The Mishnah Gemara says, if you think why? we're done with that, uh, why? why? why uh, because ev- Yeah, so I think the answer more than anything is ev- there's, a, there's several lessons over here. First and foremost, that we can derive lessons and understandings from anything. In other words, from a single word, says the Gemara, I'll teach you 25 lessons, and you're going to learn many more halachot. At the same time as well, I think there's a, a focus and a dedication to every word of the Mishnah. Don't believe that just the meaning of the Mishnah is what's significant. Every single word in the Mishnah has a significance in and of itself which is very, in terms of my understanding, it's a pretty important addition because, and I'll just mention this briefly, when you think about words, you say the words of the Torah are very important. The words of the Gemara, of the Mishnah, it's the meaning that's more important. The Gemara says, no, every single word over here is significant as well. Even though it's Torah Shba'al it's an oral tradition, every word needs to be accounted for. The Gemara now, and we'll just begin it briefly, says there's actually several more versions. Amar of Nachman Bar Yitzhak, get the next one, not Mashhilin, not Mashhilin, but rather mashirin lo mishtabesh. It's not a mistake because you can make the claim that mashirin as well means to bring down. Umanditane mashirin. Add in the het and a resh this time lo mishtabesh. Not making a mistake. It also means to put down or to let down. Umanditane manshirin lo mishtabesh. I mean, it's a fascinating thing. We have. Five different words, all of which, based on our proofs, are going to amount to the exact same thing. What do they all mean? That it goes down. Let's start with the first one. Manditane mashirin lo mishtabesh. How do you know that the word mashirin, not like we have in our Mishnah, mashilin, but mashirin, not a lamid, but a resh, means to go down. Ditnan, Rabbi Ishmael Omer Nazir lo yahuf rosho ba'adamam preshe meshir. Of course, a Nazir has an issue. He's not allowed to, among other things, cut his hair or pull out his hair. Is he allowed to brush his hair? Well, maybe if he does it in a careful way, but not with Adama, not with something that's grown from the ground and in turn is coarse on his hair. And therefore, if he took something that's coarse from the ground in his hair, it's a violation. He shouldn't be doing so, say the rabbis. Why not? It will cause his hair to fall out, to fall down. Yeah. It means that that first word in our Mishnah might be mashirin, just like mipineshe meshiret hasear, it's something that goes down. Okay, let's try to finish this. Umanditane mashirin lo mishtabesh, sounds like it's something that gets dark or black. No, it means it goes down. How do you know? Ditnan, we have a Mishnah in the context of Tuman Tahara, not Nazir any longer, not any of these other issues. What are we talking about? Tuman Tahara. What's Tuman Tahara? As we've addressed on so many occasions, Tuman Tahara is the ritual purity or impurity that you're dealing with. Now, in order for it to be considered Tameh, it needs to be what's called a Keli. It needs to be a finished utensil. Now, finished utensil means it's finished. What if it was finished and then you detached it? So, for example, I'm going to deal with some sort of knife uh, instrument, but I could and would detach it from its handle. When it's detached 
detached from its handle, does it have the same status? What if I'm dealing with scissors of sorts, but you can detach them? Like we have, you know, like uh, the ones, at least the in my home, that they lock in. You have it with a chicken and things of that sort. They can detach. When they're detached, are they still considered a keli? Well, let's see very quickly. The halakha with regards to these two utensils is, even though they are separated, either the two blades or the blade from its handle, it's still tameh, it still receives tumah, it's considered a keli. Did you catch the name of the first utensil? It's called a shechor. Can you believe it? It's called a shechor because what does it do? It's a ta'ar, says Rashi. It's a blade, which shears off the hair. It means lehashir means to bring down, not to color. You're using a blade. You're using the blade in order to take off hair on the animal or on whatever it is that you're taking the hair off of on the leg or so whatever. It's go down and take off. It's like both. But it's taking off, which in turn through gravity is going down. It means mashir means as well to go down. It would be appropriate in our Mishnah to use that word. And lastly, manshirin lo that last word manshirin as well. If that was the first word in our Mishnah, it wouldn't be a mistake. You can make the claim that that as well means to go down, to bring down. Pause already. We see the words. Anyone who's kelim, his clothing, something into the water. What does it mean, something into the water? What's the word? Your clothing fell into the water. Fell into is nashru. Okay, so we already see why it's mentioned in our Mishnah. What is the halakha that we're citing? It's a Mishnah. What do you do in such a circumstance? You could walk with them. There's no hashash. You don't need to take them off. Why, what would the hashash be? Rashi and our Gemara says the hashash may have been that someone sees you wearing the wet clothing. They say, ooh, he laundered his clothing today on Shabbat. Assume it no, it's not a problem. People would assume it fell into the water. Alternatively, Harambam's understanding is maybe the fear is you'll come to Squeeze it out. That would be a gezerah from the rabbis. Eno hoshesh. Okay, iname, alternatively, and lastly, ditnan. No, midrabanan. Squeezing? It's a gezerah because you'll violate something for the Torah. You oh. can't wear it, maybe, because you'll come to that. The halachas you're allowed to. But nashru is the key word. Alternatively, iname, or as well, mehad ditnan from the following Mishnah, ezehu leket. Question mark. There are three famous matanot anim. If a person's working in their field, they leave or give parts of their field to poor people. One of them is leket. The others are shikha and peah. What is leket? Says the Mishnah, leket is hanosher. If it fell out, bishat kesira, as you're harvesting, cutting the produce in your field, if it falls down while you're bundling it, you leave it for the poor person. You see what the word is for falls down? Nashru. It means each of these five words could be in place of, well, each of those four other ones in place of mashilin, all meaning the same thing, to fall or to go down. We'll continue with this. Gemara tomorrow. Baruch Amen. Amen.